You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, uh, we're in a, a kind of a standalone message. Uh, last week, I, I gave you a message titled "The Prayer God Loves to Answer," and uh, we talked about the prayer of prayer of Jabez and how he prayed, "God bless me indeed." That uh, even though he was uh, cursed with the name that means he shall cause pain, he didn't allow his situation, his what was given to him, what was done to him, what was said about him, keep him from believing God. Uh, and that's what's amazing about God. God's in the redemptive business. He's in the business of turning uh, setbacks into set. He's in the business of of taking things that should have been the end and making them a new beginning. Uh, In this story, uh, 1 Kings 18, uh, the message today, if you're you're taking notes, is he still answers by fire. He still answers by fire. I'm kind of giving away what we're talking about by by giving you that. But uh, 1 Kings 18 is a... Probably the closest thing outside of the David and Goliath story to what you would see in like an old Western showdown. Uh, and, you know, it's been a while since Westerns were, you know, as popular as they used to be. But uh, I love this story because it's kind of a confrontation, but in a good way, of a confrontation of calling the nation back to God, calling the people of Israel back to God, uh, and, and as they experience God's presence and power in a very real, personal way. And it starts in verse 17 when Elijah, the prophet of Israel, shows up on the scene and speaks to Ahab, the king of Israel, who has largely led the nation away from God, led them into idolatry and into the worship of Baal, who is the God of the Canaanites, this idol, this statue, this image. And at this moment, to set this up, uh, right before this confrontation, they've had three and a half years of drought and then famine as a result of that drought. For three and a half years, there hasn't been a drop of rain. For three and a half years, they've been at a place of total desperation. And so as God is about to call them back to himself, they need, the people need change, but they're looking for relief. They're looking for a change in the, in the environment, in the circumstance, but what they need more than anything is to come back to God. And that's what this is about. Verse 17, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Ahab's not happy to see Elijah because Elijah's got a reputation for changing things. He's got a reputation for turning things upside down. And uh, that's, you know, here, here's the, the, the problem. We've thought that love means there's never confrontation. Confrontation is a bad thing. In fact, love by definition has to, has to face what is contrary to its nature. Love has to see us free. Love has to see us whole. You know, as a parent, if my kids are sticking their hand on a burning hot oven or a stove, I, the, the most loving thing I can do is say, don't do that. Are you with me, church? You know, well, that hurts my feelings. Why would you say don't do that? I can do whatever I want, you know. How many parents know that's that's not a recipe for for uh, for for help? Uh, and you know what I've experienced is that people in life that most people like the idea of change, they don't like the reality of change. 
And change can be messy and change can be hard, but it's necessary. And uh, Elijah comes and he's, he's kind of just, just by his presence there, Ahab's getting rattled. And Ahab, who has largely led, again, the nation away from God and into idolatry, is upset by the presence of Elijah because he knows what's coming. He knows it's going to be a confrontation of the truth versus the lie, of, of God versus what he had substituted for God. Baal's name means master. It's, it's not just a, a, an idol that they worship, but it's a picture of anything that we put in the place of God that we put in the place of what God has created us for. And so they, they look to Baal to be the answer. In fact, Baal was known as the God that would give rain in, in their, their in idolatry and in their worship of Baal. And so they would pray to Baal for rain, but there was no change. And so here's where he's at. He says, you're a troubler of Israel. And he answers, says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Uh, you know, compromise is always troubled by commitment. Sin's always troubled by freedom, lies by truth, hatred by unconditional love, shame by acceptance, and control by surrender. <laughs> There's lots of things that are troubled and upset at the presence of, of, of real change, but, but change is always necessary for us to experience life and what God wants to bring in. And so uh, here's, here's the scene that Elijah sets up. He comes to uh, Ahab for a reason. Verse 19, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, ready for the confrontation. So Elijah came to all the people and here's what he tells them. He's gonna address the issue. See, all of them wanted rain and they wanted the famine to end, but the real need, the greatest need, and I believe still the greatest need of our lives, our families, our, our households, and even our nation is the same thing. We need God. We need God. That's what revival is when God's people begin to come back to come back to what's essential, come back to what's important. And so he's calling Israel back to God. And here's what he says. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Do you know their issue isn't just that they've swung from one end of the pendulum to the other. In fact, they didn't stop talking about the Lord and the living God, but they had a mixture. So it was kind of like, you know, Jehovah on Sunday and Baal on Monday. It's going to get better, I promise. But, but here's where they're at, because they thought they could have both. And that's why he says, why do you waver between two opinions? If God is who he says he is, then follow him. If, if this Baal is who, who you think he is, then follow him. And that's the problem with any counterfeit master. See, in those days, they would, they would cut down a tree and carve out an image and they would bow down and they would call that their master, their, their Baal. They would call that their God. And we think we're more sophisticated because we don't carve out idols and statues. But can I tell you, we still substitute things that we put our trust in instead of God. We still substitute our hope and put our, our confidence in our future in things that are not God. They cannot answer back. They cannot give us hope. They cannot give us a future. They cannot save us. In fact, the truth is, the Bible tells us in Acts 4.12 that there's no other name given under heaven by which we're saved but Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He is enough. He saves. He redeems. He restores. He heals. He sets free. And so he says, how long shall you falter between two opinions? 
You know, I, I, as, a, as a parent, I found one of the biggest challenges I have in my house is having my kids decide on a movie together. You know, we're, we may have, you know, my wife and I will go out or do something. I'll be like, all right, kids, you're going you're gonna to find a movie. And so, I, I, but the you know, problem is we've got three of them, so they, they can't decide. If two of them agree, one of them never does. Come on, somebody. Like, if you have a solution to that, please let me know. I feel like being a parent is somewhere between being an ambassador or a diplomat and being a hostage negotiator. <laughs> Just to find a movie. <laughs> and when we finally get one, I'm like, I don't even care what it is at this point. Just watch it. No, we found a, we found a solution. Or when my wife and I, we go to, we go to, to lunch, and um, I'm, I'm simple. We're both simple. Let me, I'm so sorry. I got to use, she's, we're both simple, but I'm like, I'm a cheeseburger guy. So I'm going to get a burger just about anywhere we go. And I remember one of my favorite places to go, if you've ever been out west, is uh, In-N-Out. Uh, it's, it's like there's, there's, there's heaven and in and outs on the way to heaven. And so, so, so I, I, I loved going in and out, but there were like three things on the menu. There was, there was your cheeseburgers, there's your hamburgers, and then there's your double burgers. They call them double doubles. That was it. Like they, they had a secret menu, but that was it. Like that's all that's on the menu. And somehow we had to think about it. My, okay, I got to stop before I get in trouble. But here's what he does. He says, how long are you going between two opinions? Why? Because when we have two different opinions, we're divided in our decision making in what's important and where we're going. And, and he calls to Israel. He says, you're trying to trust in Baal, but you're also trying to trust in God. You're, you're looking to another source, but you're also trying to look to God. And it doesn't work. He says, if God is who he says he is, go all in. Follow him. And so he sets up this confrontation for a purpose. He sets up, he says, I'm, here's what I want you to do. You guys build an altar. Gather some stones and build an altar and prepare a sacrifice and put the sacrifice on the altar. And here's what he tells them. Uh, verse, let's look at this, verse, verse 22. He says, I alone am left of the prophets of Baal, but, or I am alone of the prophets of the Lord, but the prophets of Baal are 450. Therefore, let them give us two bowls. Let them choose one for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood on the altar, but put no fire under it. He says, I'll prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and they said, it's well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourselves, prepare it first for you or many. In other words, you guys, go, you guys get to go first. And so they took the bowl which was given them, they prepared it, they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. And they said, oh Baal, hear us. But there was no voice and no one answered. So they left about the altar which they had made. They're jumping around. So it was at noon, Elijah began to mock them because I like this guy. Sarcasm is in the Bible, see, you're gonna hear it. He said to them, cry aloud, for he is a God. <laughs> Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's taking a vacation. Perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud. They even began to cut themselves as was their custom. 
with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And so they were doing all these activities and traditions and rituals and all these things, but there was no answer. Listen to what it says. Verse 29, they prophesied from midday was past until the time of the evening offering. So, so if you haven't caught this, from morning till evening, they've been jumping around. They've been doing all kinds of activity and all kinds of effort. They've even gone to, to hurt themselves trying to get a response, and yet no one answered. It says no one heard. There was no voice, and no one paid attention. As a great country singer, theologian said, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> They're trying to find in Baal something that can, see, that's the problem with, in fact, in the Old Testament, the sin of the Old Testament was at its root, could be summed up in idolatry, that the people were looking to something else, that in one season, God would do miracles and provide and save and deliver and bring them out of Egypt and bring them into a promised land, and, and he'd be faithful and good as we sing about today, but over and over and over, they would substitute lesser things for the living God. And you see throughout the Bible, the broken heart of God saying, I'm drawing you to myself, I love you, I want you to know me. And, and he's calling, to, even today, He's calling us to himself because he doesn't want us, in his love, he doesn't want us to bet our hopes and our future and our, our, our everything upon something that cannot answer, cannot save, cannot heal, cannot restore. And that's the problem with anything we put in the place of God. See, it promises an idol by definition is not just something we worship, but it's actually something that promises what it can't deliver. That these images, these statues, just like Baal was the, considered the God of the rain, there could be no rain, there couldn't be no answer. But then he does this. Elijah calls the people. And I've got three points to you, for, for you today from what Elijah does next. It says in verse 30, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So there's no fire on the altar of Baal. He calls the nation, the people to himself. And it says all the people came near. And the, the very first thing he does as they gather around, as he repairs the altar of the Lord. Repairs the altar of the Lord, which was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. So he's taking what was fallen down, and he's restoring it, he's repairing it. It says he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sayas of seed. What's happening? Well, I believe he's, he doesn't even build a new altar. He finds the one that is in disrepair, the one that's been neglected. You know what I, I believe that human nature is? We don't drift towards growth. We don't drift towards freedom. We don't drift towards God. We drift away. We drift away from the things that matter. We drift away from freedom, away from life, away from, you know, all I have to do is be all by myself and I can get discouraged. So, so we don't, by default, we don't autopilot towards life. And so he goes and he finds the thing that has in disrepair, and he repairs it. And, and that's the first point for those taking notes, is repair what is fallen down. If we want to see God answer, we want to see God answer by fire and bring transformation and bring real change and reignite our faith and turn us to God and turn our families and our, our cities and our nations. The church needs this. We need this. I need this. But it all starts with repairing what has fallen down, what's been neglected. 
I believe the fruit of revival is the nations and the world, the lost coming to Jesus. But you know what revival is at its heart? It's when God's people come back to God. And there's been seasons of my own life where I just keep going through activities and checking all the boxes, but then I realize somewhere along the way, I've missed the connection, the vital relationship, the closeness to Jesus that maybe I once had. And whenever we find ourselves in that place, the answer is always the same. Find the altar that's been disrepaired and build it back up. It looks like finding prayer. It looks like getting back in the word. It looks like spending time with Jesus. It looks like gathering around God's people and encouraging one another. It looks like worshiping again, praising again, hoping again. And, and, and I love this. To repair in Hebrew literally means to make fresh again. Maybe today your faith needs to be refreshed. You've gotten discouraged. You've gotten hopeless. And you need to get refreshed in your faith. Uh, refreshed in your love towards God, refreshed in your worship. You know, Jesus had a message. He had seven messages in the book of Revelation to seven different churches, and all of them were different. But the first one, I believe is the church of Ephesus, if I remember right, his, 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 he, he says, you've, you've been faithful. You've been committed to truth. You've vetted those that were false apostles. You've done all these things. But I have one thing against you. He says, you've left your first love. There's something missing. They had the altar. They had the pieces arranged. They had the wood on the altar. They had the stones in place. They had all the stuff, but there was no fire anymore. And I believe God's calling us to rekindle what's been lost. Because the only thing that can bring change to our families, that can bring change to our city, is not a cold altar. It's not dead religion. It's not even all of our efforts because they, they did all these things, all this activity, and nothing changed things. But watch what Elijah does. He takes 12 stones, and that may not be very important to you, but it represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you know the setting and you know the time, 10 of those 12 tribes were about as far from God as they could be. But he didn't cast those aside. Because even though they were running, they belonged to him. You may have run from God, but he's still got a purpose for you. And even though it's been fallen down, sometimes we don't have even just neglect. We've had failure and we've had mistakes and we've, we've turned away. But there's never a moment with Jesus. You've got breath in your lungs. You can see revival come. You can see restoration come. God can take the most broken things in your life and mine and repair them and rebuild them. That's the good news. And he rebuilds the altar with the stones that have been neglected and he places then the wood upon the altar. He places the wood upon the altar and he sets it in order, it says. Because sometimes what happens is we, we drift towards disorder and the things that are most important begin to fall aside. And if we'll just begin to set in order, that's why we start our day with Jesus. That's why we seek first the kingdom not because of religious activity, but because things that are out of order don't work. But when I find that I have a created purpose and my life begins to be set in order the way God always intends it, I can experience all that he wants to bring into my life. And so he sets these pieces of wood on the altar and then they pour water all over it. He has them bring three times. He tells them, pour water on the altar and the sacrifice and everything until all the trenches that he had dug out around the altar were totally filled with water. Do you know why Elijah's doing that? 
He's doing that because he knows that somebody's going to write a blog post saying he snuck some fire in there. God didn't do it. He did it. Well, that's just emotions. That's just... <laughs> and, and, and we have all kinds of ways we rationalize us ourselves away from what God wants to do. And so he does this. He dumps water on it. You know what I think? He's giving himself no plan B. Second point is commit everything to God. Commit everything to God. See, Israel's problem was trying to have both. (laughs) And Elijah is about to demonstrate this is what it looks like to go all in. Like there, there's no, there's no way around this. There's no, there's no faking this. There's no disguising this. We're going to pour water all over it so that you would have no doubt whatsoever that what happens is God. Commit everything to God. Verse 33, he put the wood on the, in order. He cut the bowl into pieces. Sorry for all the vegans in the room. He laid it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water. Pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it again. Do it a second time. Do it a third time. They did it the third time. So water ran all around the altar. I like this Elijah guy, not just because of his sense of humor, but I like that he's going all in. He's putting it all on the line. And he places the, th- the most important thing about the altar, the most important, like why the altar is there is because of what's offered on it. Because Elijah knows for there to be fire, something has to be on the altar. And that's what it looks like to commit everything to God, that I'm no longer worrying about things, I'm trusting. That I'm no longer trying to run things my way, I'm laying my life down. Do you know salvation is absolutely free? Did you know that? Nobody? It's not a trick question, I promise. It cost him everything. Because Jesus, Jesus laid his life down, not on a pile of stones, but on a cross where he was the sacrifice for our sins and he paid the price so that all of us could have access to God through faith in Jesus. And God gives us graces at its root. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid for what we never could earn. No one will ever get to heaven because they were good enough. Jesus paid the price and we receive it freely. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. We receive salvation freely. Do you know worship has a cost? Worship is a response to God. It's a response to what he's given for us. It has a cost. It looks like the woman who came and Jesus is seated at the table of a man named Simon. And while he's there with his disciples and they're having a meal, a woman walks in who's got a messy history. She's got a story. But she's encountered the forgiveness and redemption of Jesus so powerfully that it changes her life. And she's not thinking about what this next act of worship is going to cost her. She comes to Jesus and she pours out on his head a flask of alabaster oil that's worth a year's wages. She pours it on his head. And the disciples, the professional Christians in the room, say, why this waste? 
They actually say, why this waste? This could have been sold. This could have been used for something else. We could have given it to the poor. We could have, and and all of that because a cold altar doesn't understand worship. (laughs) Thinks it's a little too much. Thinks it's a little too extravagant. And this woman, Jesus knows what they're saying. And Jesus then says something about this act of worship where she gave something that was costly to her and poured it out upon Jesus. What they, what religion considered a waste, Jesus said, no, you don't understand. Everywhere the gospel is preached, what she just did is going to be told. What people don't value, God values greatly. <laughs> and you may not know why. I know sometimes it costs us our convenience. I know sometimes it costs us. I've had, I've had times where it cost me a reputation to follow Jesus, where it costs me, and, and, and that's okay, because there's nothing that's laid on the altar for Jesus. Now, be careful you're putting it on the right altar. I'm speaking to all those guys, that, like, you, you're driven. I'm driven, too. But make sure it's on the right altar that you're laying everything on the line. Because the altar for Baal had no fire. There was lots of activity, lots of even sacrifice, but there was no fire on the altar. Why? Because there's only one altar that the fire falls on, and it's the one that bears his name. There's a lot of things I can do for God, but I want to find God. What are you doing? What have you called me to do? What have you called me to give my life to? (laughs) And so, so, they prepare the sacrifice and they place it on the altar. And when we, whenever we do that, you know what the Bible says, Romans 12, 1. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which, which is your reasonable act of worship. I, I, I like the Message Bible. If I, I think, no, I didn't give it on the slides. It says, um, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Give it everything to God. Commit everything to God. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. See, when, when like that woman, you've encountered Jesus and redemption and forgiveness and, and you realize how much he loves you. Love is the response. Worship is our expression to God. And, and worship, by definition, costs something because it's a sacrifice. David said, King David showed up to a, a field one day where he, one day the temple of Solomon would be built. But it's currently this land, this plot of land is owned by somebody else. And when the king shows up to, to build an altar and to offer to God and to pray and intercede for the nation, the landowner says, here, you can take everything, David, and offer it to God. You can have the land. You can even have the sacrifice. I'm going to give it to you. And David responds to him and says, I cannot offer to God that which costs me nothing. He says, how can I offer to God? How can it be my worship when it's yours? <laughs> and so that's where we commit everything to God for ourselves. We go all in. Number three, third and final point is light the fuse. Light the fuse. Watch what happens with Elijah. Verse 36, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice now notice it has not taken all day because it was, it was evening when the prophets of Baal were done. And it says that Elijah, the prophet, came near and he said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Hear, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifice. The wood, the stones, the dust, it licked up even the water that was in the trench. <laughs> it's so funny how many times we try to, we try to, change things. We try to produce the results. And if we would just let the fire fall, God can do what we never could do. With no amount of striving and human effort, it could change. We just, our job is just rebuild, set it in order and lay everything down before God. Let him do it. Let him accomplish what only he can. Give it to Jesus. And watch what it says. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. They said, the Lord, he is God. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Do you know what I love in this story? Is Elijah doesn't do any of the stuff that the prophets of Baal did. Doesn't take all day. He prays with simple faith. Trusting and believing what God has already shown him to do. What's the hymn say? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. It's that simple. Some of you are like, that's not how the words go. I don't know. Trust and obey. That's, that's, that's at the heart of it. And Elijah just says, God, you told me to do this. He doesn't jump around the altar. He doesn't go through any of the activity. He doesn't do any of the things that the prophets of Baal have strived and tried all day to do and produce, but they couldn't. He just simply prays because that's what faith looks like. Faith lights the fuse. Faith says, God, here's the offering. Here's my life. Here's my prayer. Here's my family. Here's my need. God, you can change it. What I'm trusting you with, you can cause to have the fire fall. It's not complicated. It's not, it's not a bunch of religious hoops and religious activity. Faith lights the fuse. One of the pastors who's spoken in my life, I, I just heard this this week, I love this quote. He said, if God answered your prayers, would it change the world or just change you? Elijah's not even just praying for himself. He's praying a prayer that I also believe God loves to answer, and it's to turn hearts back to him. Because what the nation needs right now at that moment is not even rain. It's not even for the famine to end. It was actually for God. Because if you have the provider, you've got the source, you've got the healer, the results come with it. (laughs) It's a relationship with God that changes everything. One last verse, James 4.8. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. And he who will draw near to you to you. Jason, if you want to come down. Elijah repairs the altar. Maybe today what you need to do is repair what's fallen down. Rebuild what's been neglected or forgotten. Maybe today it's time to stop wavering between two opinions. The Bible says that to be double-minded is to be unstable in all our ways. And it's not just something as as big as, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow something else? Sometimes it's as simple as, do I really believe what God says? 
Am I going to walk in faith or am I going to walk in fear? Am I going to allow shame to define my life or am I going to believe in the grace and goodness of God? See, maybe today you've got that all restored. You've been praying this week in 21 days of prayer, but you don't see the fire yet. That's okay. You will. Because God doesn't waste an altar. (laughs) He doesn't waste an offering. God never wastes an offering, church. He he never wastes a moment where I present. And in fact, I've just, this has been my experience. Every major thing I've seen God do in my life always started with a yes. It started in a season where I put everything back on the line, where I surrendered everything, where I said, God, I've tried it my way. That didn't work. But God, I'm going to trust you with everything. I'm going to commit everything to you. You know, every time you're getting in the word, even if if you're not seeing the results yet, the change yet, you just keep doing that. You just keep getting in God's word. You keep spending time in prayer. You keep worshiping and singing and getting around the people of God. You keep doing those things because what you're doing is you're setting things back in order and you're placing the offering on the altar. And I promise you, God's fire will fall. Some of us have been looking for formulas. I think religion reduces God to a formula any chance it gets. But he's not a God I can figure out and make in my image. He's a God that you bow down and worship to and say, God, I trust you with everything. You're the mountain mover. And you're good. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.